with that, like being a tech or being a bassist or being a musician of any kind of being in a band, you're going to find a, a, a common theme here, right? You're going to find that these people who are trying to reach these goals, they're always practicing. Mm -hmm. They're always working on their craft. They're always, uh, techs are always, always building stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, Static X guitar tech, uh, Shadi, mm -hmm. he, uh, in his off time, he was building guitars for people, trying to yeah. entice, like, being That's creative right. during these non-tour times. He was taking old parts and building guitars and selling them to show people his work. So maybe that leads to him teching a gig later on, you know, or getting someone's guitar collection to show up to his garage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what Ace does. He's built a couple of uh, guitar cab, uh, guitar cabs and or amps, um, a couple of guitars. And it, it makes it, you know, it makes it better for him to do that. So he knows it through and through you know, one of the first things I hear these things you know one of the very first things i did with my first guitar um was i took everything i took all the strings off mm -hmm. i took it completely apart i took all the screws and i pulled the pick guard off and the only thing i didn't take apart was those two wires um that went to the input jack mm -hmm. um but i like took it all apart yeah i like took the neck off everything and i put it back together yeah. My dad and I worked on cars, right? So it was like, it was so natural. And it, yeah. it seemed, it wasn't a whole car. <laughs> it was just a couple, two pieces of wood and some screws, like, and a yeah. piece of plastic, like, you know? Um, yeah, it's not that hard. You just, you, but you do need to know. So like, yeah, kind of what we're talking about being a, um, you know, pro level. Sometimes you're going to have a bass tech. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to share a bass tech with the drum tech. <laughs> <laughs> or a tech with the drummer so knowing your your equipment is is should be at the top of your priority list however if you get a really big gig there's gonna be a really awesome tech that can take care of everything that you need so <laughs> you take it how you want to and i've also had to be, be informed <laughs> i i like it's to my own detriment right like when someone doesn't know their stuff on a big tour, like the tech will pick up the slack, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if I didn't know really my bass rig or if I like sucked at hooking it up and couldn't tune my bass for shit, mm -hmm. um, then my tech would pick up the slack. <laughs> but me being who I am with the way I am with gear, I like it, I take it apart, I fix it, I use it, right? Um, I just know my way around it. I get it. It's like I'm Mr. Tinkerton. Mm -hmm. um, because of that, I can do, I can, I like to do my stuff. I take care of my stuff. My, my shit is done. And what's awesome about that is if, when you're in the scenario, like you just brought up where you're bassist and your drummer, and maybe on the Need of Stress tours, we have one tech, yeah. whole band, whole band. So much of that show relies on the person whose name is on the banner. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're just going to, mm -hmm. it, it does. Right. Um, the more that we can do as musicians and really know our stuff, if I can do my own setups and my own intonations and everything like that, and then I can have all that stuff done while the techs running around doing the lights and the drums and the this and the that, if I am done with my stuff and I can lend my hand to helping him with the lights 
or hooking up Nita's pedals or, or tuning the guitar or anything, anything. That's when you get a show. Like, I can't stress this enough. Something I really, really, really learned and something I love about your band um, is that you just need to have all the cogs of the same wheel. Yes. Right? You just need to all be cogs on the same wheel. Yeah. You are working for a new artist, uh, let's say bassist, because this is a bass thing. Um, mm -hmm. When you go to maybe like dial in their their sound or you dial in, you know, something that you know, whatever you feel like is their sound. What do you do first? Like, what do you, when you walk up to a new rig, what do you do? I try and figure out what the last person did. Okay. Um, you know, I try and make, when I come into something, you know, it's not really my job unless I'm asked to, to like invent tones. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it does happen, but like on a new gig, I want the artist to not realize, I mean, unless the guy, the old guy sucked and he wants a new guy, yeah. which, okay, whatever. But yeah. I want it to be as seamless as possible. I want it to be, you know, I try and turn things on and see if everything turns on and sounds like it's supposed to, mm -hmm. and then adjust from there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, because people, there's so many ways to build a tone and so many approaches to it. Uh, I don't like to start from ground zero and try and like duplicate something because there's just so many ways to go about it. Like uh, not to go back into guitars, but Slash has this really famous amp that, you know, Gibson or sorry, Marshall recreated. And, um, you know, and I got the recreation and I got the real amp out and I dialed it in. And I was like, this thing sounds fucking weird as hell. Yeah. And then finally, Adam Day came up to me one day <coughs> and he said, yeah, that amp's weird as shit, dude. You got to dial it in all of this, none of that, and stick it through one of these things to get that tone. I, I never would have thought of that, you know? So, yeah. So there's so many ways to like use one piece of gear and mm -hmm. there's just so many variables in there that I try and recreate, you know, I try and take the pieces that are in front of me. Like sometimes I'll fill in for somebody and I won't know, you know, um, I will have to build a tone. Like I'll, like I'll fly into like for a new band and rental gear. So like I'm getting cases, like I'm opening cases, mm -hmm. you know, and to try and recreate a sound I haven't heard before. Yeah. And I, you kind of go with like, you know, how does this band sound to me? Mm -hmm. But if you've only heard the record, then you don't, you know, trying to recreate a record live isn't necessarily you, know, you only have so many hours in the day you know <laughs> and then you only have a gear in front of you yeah and so I'll, you know and i'll ask like whoever's there like you know your sound guy is going to be a big help like especially you know if they've had the same sound guy for a while you know i'll set it up dial it in what you know i have sort of my default settings i'll use like if you hand me an amp I'll put it where I think it's going to sound right, just based on my knowledge what's, of the band. What's your, what's your default setting for like a good bass sound that's not too one way or the other? Um, basically, any new piece of gear, if I don't know it, like, I mean, um, you just sort of like put everything at five and 
like especially EQ. Um, you know, you try and get a natural signal and then adjust from there, as opposed to like trying to like yeah. The idea with a especially with a bass is that if you start with a good sounding bass, then you don't have to do as much to it to try and fix it. You know. Um, so you just sort of get the right levels and the right amount of thump and growl. And, you know, a lot like uh, some people use two bass amps, like with Slash, with Todd, we use uh, two bass amps, like one's a little grittier and one's a little cleaner. So one kind of has that little, that little bit of, you know, peaky distortion to it where you can kind of hear the notes and the other amp, you know, has all that low end that you feel. Because that, that's sort of another thing is that like the more distortion you have, the less, you know, yeah. as you get into more distortion, you get into less low end and less feel, less, you yeah, know. Those, the, those, the, mids, those mids come up and you, I mean, you yeah. want mids to cut through, but you don't want there to be so much mid and high that you don't get the actual base. Yeah, you because you, 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 you need that, that part that shakes people's shorts, you know, that... Yeah. <laughs> That yeah. turns that song into more than just the sound. It turns it into a feeling, you know. Um, just a few years. Luckily, I'm not, you know, grandpa or nothing, but she's younger than me and she's done so much more than me. And so I I didn't look at age or or gender or anything else. I looked at a phenom who's been doing all the things that I want to do, looked me in the eye and was like, you should probably do this. You know what I did? Exactly what that person told me to do. Yeah. Yeah, when when I started playing bass and people and I, I told my mentors, because I've always had a few mentors, really awesome mentors, um, a couple of them we've had on the show. Uh, I asked them, what am I supposed to do to get better? And they all said the same thing. Play with better people. Play with as many people as you can. Take as many gigs as you can. Play with better people. Play with worse people. Just play with more yeah, people. Yeah, you can learn a lot from worse people, too. And also you can teach them. You can help them understand music better to play with you better and that will help you be better if you play with the drummer who falls off time every time he does this one role you know if like i'm always the guy on a stage that when something like that happens like i'll, I'll become the stage conductor if it's yeah. if i'm able to fix it i'll like i'll become the stage conductor to fix that moment if it was my mistake if it was this person it doesn't matter whoever's mistake it was like yeah we all got to come together in those moments. So even if you're, you know, the best player in the band, I'm sure that there's something that you can become better at. And one of those could be is like being the stage conductor, being the guy who fixes, you know, the mistake that happens being, you know, being the guy who, when there's singer trips over the mic, uh, the drum, the kick drum mic, and you're the bass player, you run over and you use your foot to put the mic back, you yeah, know, like little, little stuff like that. Right. But there, there's usually in a band, some, the musical director, uh, like the guitar player, the singer, the bass player, whoever is the, whoever is chosen as the musical director, and they, they really need to just have respect, and you need to respect them, and um, you need to respect the singer and where you stand on stage, and you need to respect every everything. Mm, that's right. So we wanted to jump into that. So in all these gigs that I've had to take and you've had to take, there are certain times when. Yes, you say you're supposed to say yes to the gig. And when you do, you're supposed to do your best job. And sometimes that means learning trial by fire 
what to do and what not to do in that band. I have absolutely been let go from bands for being too much of a performer. I've been hired by bands because of that same thing. I've, I've been yelled at on stage for not performing enough. And then I've also been talked to about doing a little less performance. And each yeah, one's- and, and, and something uh, that we were talking about right before we started uh, recording this podcast is when I was on my second tour with Nita, mm-hmm. um, both Johnny Young and I are both insane performers. Yeah. And not just players, but but performers. Nita is also an insane performer. I swear, like I could bring my A++ game every night. I would still feel like that that chick outperformed me every single night. And it was a pleasure being next to her on stage, you know, to and and I'm sorry to all my past band members, but to finally feel that to finally feel like I'm I'm bringing everything I got and and you're still kicking my ass like I love that. I love that. I want to be put in. Um but because of that sometimes we would play these gigs and there'd be like subwoofers and stuff in front of the stage. And so we'd go in and when you get hired by a band, you want to be the best for them. Like that's what you want. You want to be the best for them. And so Johnny and I in the first couple of shows of the tour we would like jump up on these monitors and stuff like that. And Nita let us know, listen, when I play for Alice Cooper, um, Alice sets the line. And you had told me a similar story where you had a band where someone set the line like that. Can you explain that for people? Yeah, yeah in Zepparella, because I was overperforming because that's where I come from. I got, I used to get yelled at on stage for not performing. And then in my second band, she couldn't really do anything while she's singing. So we're going crazy. And in my own band, I like that too. So I'm in this new band and I really want to make a good performance. And our, our one of our first, uh, you know, tours is through Texas. And I really want to, you know, make sure I, you know, perform for my people. <laughs> and I'm excited about it. And there's a bunch of like really awesome pictures of me just like real smiling and up there on the monitors and everything. But what happens is you don't want to steal the show either. And you want things from from a person's perspective, when you're a crowd's perspective, looking at the at the stage, you want everything to to make sense, right? Right. So what Gretchen explained to me is, you know, besides having her pedal board there at the you know at the front of the stage, she lets Anna establish <laughs> the line. Anna's our singer, and that's the line. And we should at least stay one foot behind the line or right at behind the line. Given the stage. Given the stage, yeah. Yeah. Even just that little tiny bit of depth perception from the the other side of the stage makes the show look more professional and put together. Also makes your singer look larger than life. Absolutely. And we got a really tiny singer, so we have to make sure she looks... (laughs) In the last few years, your rig has been something crazy. So you started off with like a sound gear and a Fender Rumble and then slowly moved up. And right. now you got some sick stuff, man. You have a Dingwald bass. You have a Kemper. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. You have uh, you. I know you. You were using a Sansamp. Right. Yeah. What? Right. What? What's your? What does your rig consist of now? Now, right now, um, it consists of the dark glass nine hundred watt head. Right. Right. Um, Which head is it? The Omega. 
it is the omega, correct? The alpha omega head. And um, it's 900 watts. It, that, I want that, one of those so bad. Yeah, man, they're they're awesome. Um, it's definitely the uh, modern, I would say the modern day bass sound, especially for metal. But it's it's very versatile, though. Like you get. I wanted to get that for Nita. Um, I wanted to get that head and then the the pedal. Yeah, yeah. The BK seven pedal. And oh, the BK seven got a pedal, right? Yeah, and Lauren was gonna hook me up with a deal. I met him at uh at Nam. Mm-hmm. And he was going to hook me up for the Nita Strauss tour. Yeah. Was, that, was that the owner, Castro, or? Lauren. Lauren, Lauren, my bad. Lauren. Um, I don't know what his last name is. I just know it was Lauren. Um, okay. But I had just bought this Axe Effects for these Michael Graves shows that I never used because I no longer played in the band. So, like, I really wanted to buy that, but I couldn't justify not using this thing that I already spent like that same amount of money on, you know, I know I was going to spend double the money of what I had already, you know, like, uh, and then it would have been cool, but it just, it was like, it sounds so awesome. I just got to use what I have, you know, like, I, you know, I have it here so you can always test it out for yourself. And, well, thank you. And I, I love the axe effects too. And the other thing is, it's like, that's, that's, that's awesome. Being a guitar player at heart. It's really cool to just, have my guitar channel right there yeah <laughs> you know like it's cool to have you know guitar bass guitar yeah. bass. yeah yeah dude it's it's amazing it's amazing yeah. but um yeah so i i use that and i run uh and i run that through a sans amp and i get and that's the so you go bass into the sans amp and then into the alpha omega yeah and now, do you when you do that, do you do a mic line out of the Sans amp also? No, I don't. You just use the Sans amp as a preamp. Yes. Into the Alpha Omega. Into the Alpha Omega. And then for sound, are you using a mic or are you using the DI out of the Alpha Omega? DI. And are you running a cable or are you running a wireless? I'm running a wireless. What wireless? Line six G ninety, line six G ninety. So line six G ninety into the Sans amp into the Alpha Omega direct. No, 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 sorry, sorry. no, no, no. So it's from the so the input into the output of the of the Sans amp, and then from the Sans amp all into the um, wireless. Yeah. And we both use different resources. So let's see. We got Twitch. Uh-huh. Um, your own personal website, right? So you yeah. do really great with your own website. Thank you. I, uh, I have built it myself and I man it myself. And um, I find that going in at least once a week or twice a week and just cleaning things up and making sure things are running correctly, making sure everything looks good on the screens, uh, making sure the, the correct things or the, the right things are at the top and the right things are at the bottom. You know, if you're- I am not that active. Yeah, active. I do believe in a good website and I do like update it. You know, I try and update it more than once a year. I try and update it every three to six months. I really do. Yeah. Um, sometimes I do the little things like I I'm supposed to have updated my bio for like ever now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I do some of that little stuff. I've changed around some pages, but mostly um, my old singer, Alex, mm-hmm. she like, I don't know, back when I first started my solo band, 
her mom was supposed to like build my website. Yeah. And she just, I don't know, didn't show up. And I was like, what the hell? You know? And Alex is like, listen, I'll fix it. And she just does a Squarespace thing. And so like, I'm bringing this up because my friend felt bad her mom didn't do it, right? And had no idea what she was doing and just Googled it, found Squarespace, found Wix, we decided on Squarespace and she sat there and she built it and she dragged and dropped and we figured it out there. And every time that we redo this, um, we kind of like figure something else out and like, and we learn more and more and more, but it's, it's so easy. It's not that hard. And there's the Wix is my favorite. And that's what I use my, my, uh, for my website. Um, I use GoDaddy for the uh, the domain name and then Wix, but you can still just use Wix for your domain name and your website. But Wix is so easy because it's like you really are just building everything that how you want it. Um, and there's so many integrations in there to, to give you what you want. I sell merch off of there that people they'll go, they'll they'll pay for the merch and then it gets it's a drop shipping company that does it and then they send it off. And so I don't have to deal with any anything any like we used to have to have all kinds of merch on hand and somebody bought a t-shirt you send it out and it takes you know you have to do all of this which if you're not doing anything else it's fine but if you're busy uh it's kind of a hassle to go to the the post office all the time so these great merch companies that's where i'm the worst dgc as well um if you order from the dgc website my other company dead group clothing you get it from a drop shipping company we get the emails, we get everything, you know, we, we make sure that the business is ran, you know, correctly, but we don't touch the merch. It goes straight to them. Um, so it's, it's becoming so easy. And if you have a graphic designer that, or, or, or a graphic artist that can, um, that can come in and, and give you a logo and give you kind of a look, uh, can give you maybe something for your merch, then you can put it all together yourself and start your brand whenever you want to. Um, what aspect of online promotions and resources have you relied on the most to grow awareness and strengthen your career? So you said social media, right? But there's, there's more than just that. There's your website. There's um, Zoom, right? There's Skype. There's Discord. There's YouTube. These are all technically social medias, right? Even even Zoom, if you have more than one person on a Zoom call and you have your own Zoom like conference room, it's almost the same as having your own Instagram page or your own chat room, you know, like um I'm so old that you know, we used to have chat rooms on AOL and I would be like in like the New Jersey rocker and goth like chat room and people would start these things and people would come around and um and they would, uh, you know, just come to common ground, you know. Um, and that, so out of all of these things, out of all of these resources, which are like, which would you say are the have worked the best for you? Um, honestly, I would probably say Zoom because you can do anything um, like I do interactive live streams on my Patreon um, where it's just, sometimes I'll have my guitarists on there too, and we can do a band Q and a, um, 
last week I played a song that I was in the middle of writing. It wasn't even finished. Um, so Is it the same one that I heard? No, that was just written in 22 minutes tonight. The one that you heard. So was Paranoid. <laughs> yeah. So was Paranoid. And then also I teach a few lessons per week also on Zoom. Um, I do my school on Zoom. I would I would definitely say Zoom is very helpful for so many aspects. <clears throat> um, Shannon wanted to do uh, interviews with stuff and she was saying that she was having some issues. And I was like, you should get Zoom, you know, and then record it on that. Because mm-hmm. I think she was like trying to call people on Skype or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, listen, I'm going to send you $15 back from your monthly lessons. And this month Zoom's on me. Trust me. You want it. Yeah. Because you, so you and I did lessons online way before the world was shut down. Because I lived in New Jersey. I met you in North Carolina or South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. South? Yeah. Is Spartanburg, South Carolina? Yeah. Um, my whole life, I've never gotten North and South Carolina right. That's I never get that right. Um, that's that's harder than New England clam chowder or Manhattan clam chowder. That's like I I can figure those two out. Um, but yeah, so we did lessons and we used to do Skype, and then I was even trying Discord at one point. Um, and then when I first moved out to LA, I was relying very heavily on Skype because I do stuff with an interface so you can hear everything with the fractal. And I'll tell you, Zoom. Wow, dude. Like, I believe in it so much. The second that we all got locked up, it was, and, and School of Rock founded. School of Rock, we were trying to use uh, Google Hangouts for stuff. And it was like failing for our our meetings. And then they like made these free Zoom accounts. I was like, oh my God, this is the most stable platform I've ever used in my entire life for this. Like, and like to the point where we were still, we were like teaching on Zoom, but still holding our meetings on Google Hangouts. And I was like, uh, on Google Meet. And I'm like, guys, this sucks. Like, you know, like I would log in and like my mic wouldn't work or like, you know, the captions wouldn't be there or like. And so we just we switched everything to Zoom. Like, it's so awesome. Um, And when did you start your Patreon page? Did you start that during quarantine? I did. Um, I tried to do a Patreon sometime last year, I think. Um, And I spent six months with zero so I took it down I spent about two weeks trying to make it better figuring out how I can actually make this a thing um what I'm going to post how often um and I completely redesigned it and now I have 10 patrons and you know what I'm pretty proud of that for now you should be proud of that for now but yeah, basically, if um, if you're you're learning at a young age what intervals are because you're not tone deaf. I, there's a very 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 small select people or a few people in the world that could actually be tone deaf, and it would be a medical thing. Um, so you you can you can understand a song, so you would know intervals without even knowing what. You know, if I said, oh, this is an interval between this note and this note, you, you would already pick up on that because that's what the brain already does. 
So starting out any so any with any instrument with simple tiny you know small patterns like that with the intervals not being so crazy and vast and 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 also uh not fat you know the the rhythm not being very fast your brain picks up on it so it's good to see i have some great stuff that holly is going to edit in right here perfect and it's going to just show you what we mean by intervals. Um, some of it's going to look like alien language. And some of it might look like something. But these are just resources online. If you go to Google and you look up intervals, um, you can find tons of resources. I can promise you guys that anything I don't know, when I hear something and I'm like, oh, what, what, what was Rick Beato talking about in that lesson? Like, what is this? dominant seven sus four flat third chord he was talking about i literally just type it into google and i look up chord diagrams and i look up images and i look up articles right um any of this stuff that does sound like that you guys want to take from these podcasts look at look it up you know like try and figure out what we're saying put put your questions in the comments below right ask us we'll put it into an episode but if you hear something and it's kind of cool and you're like hey i how am i going to do that type it into google yeah just learn it yeah. just learn it go for it i'm sure there's a course on it somewhere yeah you know it's it's like when you're learning a, a new language you really just have to be very interested in in the di- you know, the dialect and the, the words and what is this called and what is this? And how- well, I don't have a teacher, right? So I am a teacher. Um, you are a teacher, but I am also a student and I am a lover yeah. of music and melody. And I, I don't more- have anyone to give me assignments. Yeah, I think we're more of a student than we're teachers. Honestly, I think we're- yeah. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm learning all day long. I'm learning all day long, even when it's like writing my own stuff. Um, Because yeah. I want to always be better. It's just I've had this addiction where and this is this comes along to being a multi instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had this addiction to really just want to know. Yeah. I just want to know. I want to know all the ins and outs. I I picked up a guitar and I picked up my bass and I just, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I want to learn that control, right? Yeah. It's not just going into the gym and lifting weights, right? That's like punk rock or thrash metal. But when you want to like, when you actually, like I actually want to just, I love sitting down behind my guitar and like having a random song being on and being able to just play on top of it. Maybe I figure out some of the chords, maybe I don't, but I know that what I play goes with that song and I like it. And like, I love just jamming on it, whether it's bass or guitar. It just, I've always loved just honing into that song, like almost to get Bruce Lee about it, right? To become one with the song. That doesn't yeah. just mean that you're learning that person's parts, right? But you're also learning how to put yourself into it, like a good bass player should do. Yeah, absolutely. You don't just play to the song. You don't just always just follow the guitar, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to add to the guitar. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's what um, Tony and I were talking about, you know, being in the headspace of a, of a bass player, you know, a real bass player. That, that right. Headspace is so important. Yeah. It can take that song to the next level. Um, you know, you're listening to a song, you're like, you know, I can do this better. And then you do it better because you know that the feeling of the song needs to be manipulated in that way. And that's what's so great about being a bass player is that we do manipulate the feeling of the song we have complete control over that and we have control over the hips baby that's awesome um when i play when i play bass or i'm composing a, my part for mm -hmm. a song for bass i'm i'm the bass player yeah i i think i think it's a different it's a mm -hmm. different headspace it really is and, and you have you know it takes me a while to get there and maybe I just didn't have the time to, to you know, to mm -hmm. really, when we're in the studio and it's costing money and, you know, yeah, you know, I, I probably could have taken, well, probably seriously would have taken me two days mm -hmm. of playing along with the track, composing, feeling it out, and then executing that, right? Like rec actually recording it. Whereas a guy like Tony Hall, mm -hmm. He just, it just comes out of him. Yeah. That's what he does. He oozes and bass. <laughs> he, he just, you know, it's just, he, it's nothing for him. For it's him. awesome. He's already in that headspace. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I mean, I, I feel like there's a couple of tracks on my album because I played all the, all the bass on my album except for Crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tony did the bass track for the acoustic version of Sugar Bowl. Um, which I ended up tracking over, uh, you know, we used it, we're going to use his track for, for the song. And then the song started evolving and getting heavier and more, more atmospheric and, and uh, uh, more bridge of size, you know, mm -hmm. Robin Trower ish kind of sound to it. And his approach just wasn't, it just, it wasn't driving the song the way I wanted to. So I said, oh, okay, now it's time for me. I mean, I, I can do that. Yeah. I know how to do that. Yeah. So now I'm playing that and, and, and uh, um, yeah, so, you know, there's a couple, you know, there's a, a, another track that, uh, um, that we did, we did a cover of, uh, it's called The Grind. The Grind. Yeah. It, it, the reason I can't remember is it, it never says the grind in the song anywhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't, but it, it's about it's about having a real you know a real job uh -huh. and uh, and working for the man. Yes. But uh, like that bass line, like that's a bass that's a bass line. Mm -hmm. Like I wrote that as a bassist. I think mm -hmm. would approach should approach it. So yeah, you know it's a different headspace. I. I like guys and, and girls that, that can put themselves in that headspace just instantaneously. Like, yes. you know, uh, the guy that plays with Jack Russell's Great White, Dan McNay. And I, and I, I tease Dan because he has to play a lot of my stuff. <laughs> and, and, I, and he's some, you know, and every once in a while he takes a little, you know, he takes a little, uh, 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 you know, goes off on a tangent a little bit on some of the parts. And I always appreciate what he does, you know, it doesn't bother me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as it's within in the in in the spirit of the original track, right? So I always refer to Dan as Dan, the better bassist. <laughs> he gets pissed. He gets pissed. Not pissed, but you know what I mean. Because mm-hmm. uh, I do believe that. I believe he's 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 got that. He's got that mindset. It mm-hmm. just it just comes out of him, just like Tony Tony Hall. Just he's he's there. Yeah. And it takes me a while to get there. Okay. Um, it's the counterpoint, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. of a base mm-hmm. to what the guitars are doing. Yep. So um, it's hard to be that other guy to yourself, especially when you're making your own record. Yes, but but you can also make the funnel system work for you in this way. You start with, you know, an advertisement on Instagram or Facebook. And then it takes you, it takes the person to their website where they can find something like a t-shirt or a video or something, or or maybe even not even a t-shirt, like a video or something else that they really enjoy. So then they subscribe to your website. Okay. That's already one, one thing that has uh, helped you. Right. So then um, you start uh, giving them, you know, weekly updates on what you're doing. And then all of a sudden they buy a t-shirt. That's another step in the funnel. And then then they want to take lessons from you. So that's another step in the funnel. And then your final step is whatever your biggest package is for your time and your creativity and your help, which you only need a few people to buy. You only need a few people to really invest in that. And then there's a bunch of other people at the top that are helping. But the funnel is, you know, you keep the the ideas and then it starts, they start investing more and more. Well, and so that's, and part of my like little bit, little bit, little bit theory is that's how bands work anyway, right? I just scaled everything that a band does down to myself. Um, And that's, you know, that was the approach that I took, took from it. I didn't go to business school. I don't have a business degree. But I can tell you that um, I used to have to grind um, at jobs that I hate. And now I play guitar for money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's and that's the truth. And like, it's like, I think we talked about like, when in business school, when you first go to business school, they talk about widgets, like, that's the first thing that they talk. Yeah, it's it doesn't matter what your business is. And I, I always knew that in the very beginning, that it doesn't matter if it's an album, or a piece of pizza, or um, you know, or a complex piece of engineering or a pen, you know, it's a product is a product. You can make a product. Supply and demand. And that's, that's the ABCs of business right there. You know, you have people who want the, who have had the demand for your product, give them the supply and, um, it works every time. And so, yeah, we have all these tools where we can funnel. Right. And so both everything that we're talking about is being what? becoming an entrepreneur right that's what we that we have to do we have to think outside the box um i was talking with my son's mother and she, you know she was saying like you're, you're very innovative when it comes to a problem like i don't believe in can't like mm-hmm. can't is worse than an f-bomb to me you know like yeah. Yeah. It, it's just i had an english teacher one time she had a can of soup or something and she had an eye on it and she put it at the at the front of the class and she's like this is my eye can everyone but let, let's say it together i can yeah that's it's awesome true. true i mean it's it's true like you can you can do anything you want really invest in that 
And then there's a bunch of other people at the top that are helping. But the funnel is, you know, you keep the, the ideas and then it starts, they start investing more and more. Well, and so that's, and part of my like little bit, little bit, little bit theory is that's how bands work anyway, right? I just scaled everything that a band does down to myself um and that's you know that was the approach that i took took from it i didn't go to business school i don't have a business degree but i can tell you that um i used to have to grind um at jobs that i hate and now i play guitar for money yeah 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 and and that's and that's the truth and like it's like i think we talked about like when in business school when you first go to business school they talk about widgets like that's the first thing that they talk yeah it's it doesn't matter what your business is and i i always knew that in the very beginning that it doesn't matter if it's an album or a piece of pizza or um you know or a complex piece of engineering or a pen you know, it's a product is a product. You can make a product. Supply and demand, and that's that's the ABCs of business right there. You know, you have to have people who want the who have had the demand for your product. Give them the supply, and um, it works every time. And so, yeah, we have all these tools where we can funnel right. And so, both everything that we're talking about is being what becoming an entrepreneur, yeah, being, right? Yeah. That's what we that we have to do. We have to think outside the box. Um, I was talking with my. Basically, all I'm really doing. So, like on on those shows, you guys had people all over the stage, right? There was like some shows. There was like mountains of dudes, like crowded all around the stage. You know, tons of people moshing all over the uh, all over the floor. Beer flying everywhere, right? Yeah. So like when you're on tour in, in, in 20 years, what kind of gear do you like try to use? So that way you can battle those kinds of conditions, conditions that people don't even understand. Like you really don't understand what all that beer and sweat and testosterone does to like amplifiers. (laughs) So I try to keep, you know, everything as, as far back as possible. Um, Two things that I use that I need that's like I can't play without, um, but I had to actually ask Craig because he's the gear guy, you know. Right. So I was just like, you know, because I, so we, um, I remember he, um, when he not when he joined the band, I don't know, a year or so later, or maybe two years, whatever. Uh, he's like, yo, I had this wireless pedal. It's great. And he's just like, um, it's a tuner. You hit the pedal and it shuts everything off and then you can tune right there. And he's like, it's great. It's really affordable. And um, I was like, that sounds like a good idea. The Shure wireless, right? Yeah, the Shure. Yeah, the Shure. It's like, it's amazing. It's like two pedals in one. It's a tuner, wireless. And like you hit the button, it shuts it all off. Like, it's like boom! It's it's amazing. It's like it's yep. really been, it's really helped. You know, because like I mean, throughout the years, like I've had chords pulling down. You know, I mean, you know how it is on stage. It's just crazy. It's insane. Yeah. You know, and then you get the and then you get the drunk friend from behind the stage who runs who head. runs up to sing gang vocals, trips over your chord, pulls it out. Yeah, it's always that idiot. 
you know, so but this, <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, you know, so you found uh, using a wireless you, really like helps. It's like your buddy from the neighborhood who doesn't know any better. And it's like, he doesn't know. He's hanging out. He's a dope in the corner, tripped <laughs> over the cord. Whatever, you know, but I'll, you know, that's but the wireless. Is and then two, helps, uh, so. two other dopes try and come and, and plug it in and don't know what, what the hold they're like. Yeah. Well, you're like, God. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know how that goes. So, yeah, so th- that eliminates that, you know, the wireless really helps, you know. Yeah. They're, they're pretty affordable these days, you know, even, I mean, you know. I think it's the whole unit costs like fucking five, six hundred bucks. It's nothing, you know what I mean? To really right. step up your game, you know what I mean? If you yeah, five hundred bucks for like a wireless is that's pretty much where you want to be, and that's it's fine. Cool. It's, it's not a lot of money. It's a fucking good investment. Nita uses that same wireless in stadiums. Yeah. I think you yeah. know, like I played stadiums with them, and I've never had a problem. The only, I think, great. the only gig she said she had an issue with where it wasn't strong enough was maybe something like wrestlemania i uh, like it, oh, I, really? I could be half wrong on that but I, i'm pretty sure like that might be the only because that's like really far you know what i mean yeah it's that's like it's that that walkout um and she and the, yeah yeah i don't think i'll ever get to do a walkout like that so dude but, like yeah. Could you imagine like an agnostic front show and like just pictures of your fans? Like it, like the Iron Maiden stage where everything like pulls out, you, know, you can have your own like walkway. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. It'll never happen. It'll no, never huh? Happen with me. I mean, holy shit. That, I, I don't think it'll Well, ever dude, happen. almost, almost. You got so you just. One of your last shows, like before all this craziness, was you guys played for the Misfits. Like I was trying, dude. Yeah. I tried to sweet talk all you guys. Cool. I was like, "Yo, you guys know you need like a guitar tech on that show, right?" Like, <laughs> like, come on! But you guys just played Madison Square Garden. Like, no, we didn't play Madison Square Garden. We played oh. the one in Philly. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Philly, right? Yeah. Whatever. That's a big show. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely a stadium show. They don't, know, they, like don't have, they don't have their own walkways and stuff, but the were, were the giant cool. pumpkins on the stage? It was cool. I mean, to be honest with you, it was a really great show for us. Um, anytime we ever try to do something like that, something always goes wrong. But we just, like, you know, um, the, we played, it was them and the Dropkicks, and when the Dropkicks, like, their, their crew, they took care of us. You know what I mean? We did sound check with them. They um they're, they're the best, you know, like they really um they stepped it up and um we sounded great out there. Everyone loved it, you know, you it went well for us. It was like everybody was just like, you know what, like they enjoyed it, you know what I mean? It was like a really perfect opening act for them. A little Dude, hardcore, got- a little punk, a little you know, like you know what we do, you know. They and did pretty good with that. If, if you look at all the opening lineups of all those misfit shows. They did it right. They, I think, like in a lot of those shows, they put a lot of the right bands on. You know what I mean? They, they, they did the right got, thing. I think with that, they did Rancid. They did um, Chromag. Yeah, they, they did a lot. Yeah, Chromags. They did Murphy's Law. They did. You know, they actually. It was cool what they did because, and I feel they they had to do that. You know what I mean? Knowing where they came from, 
and they did. They did the right thing. It was really cool, respectful. They gave like the underground, like the, the bands that they actually grew up with and suicidal, um, you know, all these bands, they put them on and um, it was pretty cool. It was a great thing. You know, you got to respect the Misfits, you know, it was really, uh, it was awesome. It was really, really fucking cool. I mean, you know, I, I mean, we've been, I've been on tour with Jerry and Jerry's always been great. You know, I never met Glenn. Uh, or any of the other guys, but um, when I was checking for prong after that tour with you guys, um, in LA, uh, that was the very first time that I was even in the same vicinity as Glenn Danzig, and it was so crazy. Like, I was sitting there working on Tommy's guitars, and I like look over my shoulder, and it was like he was just like sitting at like the booth, just like this, and I was just like, what? Yeah. Where, where the fuck is my life right now? It was at the Roxy. That was at the Roxy. Oh, yeah, the Roxy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. That was a fun night. But yeah. I, I saw the Misfits. Um, nights like that. Nights like that make me miss what we do. You know? Yeah. Nice like that. I mean, uh, well, it's the memories. It's the memories, like, right? It's the moments. It's the the yeah. spike, the the endorphins, the, the love, yeah. the the unity. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, you know. And um, you know, I'm just thinking back on that night. It was a really fun night. Like I miss nights like that, you know. I, I really, it, it it's it's tough to just think that, like, wow, are we gonna ever be able to like experience that again? You know, like we worked so hard all our lives and sacrificed so much. You know, where like other people just fucking lived their day-to-day life, worked and had their family and like people like, you know, people like us, like we sacrificed a lot, you know, and to do and to give to people. I mean, you know, it's a purpose, you know what I mean? Like fucking, you know, it's like so many people come up to us and be like, yo, this song you wrote, you know, help me get through another day or, you know what I mean? Like people need this in their life. You know what I mean? Like it's, Nobody can just go to work, you know, come home to their family every day and not be able to go out and have some sort of an outlet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Music is the ultimate.